I just want to say that Brian has it easy. Because <laughs> he doesn't have to take off a guitar really quick and unplug his headphones and then, and then try to get set up and get his composure ready for, for, for preaching. But we love you, Brian. We miss you. So have you ever done anything or, or said something that was just absolutely stupid? And I don't mean like, whoops, I ran the stop sign stupid. I mean like, you did something so dumb that your brain didn't have time to filter out or didn't have time to stop you from what you're doing. Well, I will allow you to hear one story, just one, of one time I, I did that. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's bad. You may look at me differently from this point forward. But just remember, God's grace. So, uh, Tara and I have known each other for a long time, since we were around 12, 13 years old. And uh, we grew up going to, to youth camp and, and different church conventions together. And uh, our moms even went to youth camp together. We always joked that uh, if there would be arranged marriages, that somehow we'd still end up married. And uh, that's exactly what would happen. Our families usually hung out together. And uh, we were always friends. There never was this uh, attraction there up until a point, and something just kind of clicked, and I was like, oh, wow. It's no longer like Tara. It's Tara. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I had a, a knack for getting girls by using God's gifts in the wrong way. Uh, you know, I, I would play guitar and sing, and that's, you know, that's what I did. I didn't want to work at it, and if it took too much work, and I was like, nope, no thanks. And uh, she was not like that. So for like two years, I had this huge crush on her, and I never told her. And uh, fast forward, we're, you know, we're hanging out, and we're, we're spending a lot of time together. We're just friends. And she even tells me, you know, I would never date a guy like you. <laughs> I would never date a guy like you. You're too much of a player, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care, you know. <laughs> but... Uh, so I was, I was dating this girl, and after each date, and this is going to sound terrible, uh, I would go hang out with Tara. And we'd just be hanging out watching a movie or whatever, and I would have more fun with Tara. And the stupid part hasn't come yet. <laughs> so one night, Tara does the unexpected and she completely just spills her guts. And she tells me that she has feelings for me. And I'm just flabbergasted. And then I go, yeah, I want to see how things go with this other girl. <laughs> and, yeah, so obviously you know that it worked out. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I wised up and, and, uh, and told her, I was like, I want to be with you. That was, that was, that was stupid. I'm sorry. <laughs> so... Sometimes we do or say things, and I don't even know why I said that. Like, I didn't actually feel that way. It just, it came out, and, you know, I was too prideful to take it back. So, um, we're going to be talking about Peter today and looking at how he kind of did some of those things. He was real, he was real brash, uh, but we're also going to look at God's redemptive story through him. And we know uh, just a couple of facts about him. So, we know that he wrote First and Second Peter. And speaking of which, uh, starting next week, so we're closing out the series followers today. 
And then next week, we're going to start a new series called A Greater Gain. Uh, and Brian will be starting that with First and Second Peter. It's going to be great. So, but just a couple of things about Peter. So we also know that his name was Simon. That's kind of how he started off uh, before Jesus renamed him Peter. And he was the son of Jonah. His brother was Andrew. Him and his brother, they did fishing with uh, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And he, he, you know, he wrote two books in the New Testament. Um, Peter was a fisherman. And he wasn't like the kind of fisherman you see with the, the glittery bass tracker boats, you know. And then the fish finder. And he's just sitting out there in his weird shirt with like 12 different pockets on the front and 15 on the back, you know. And an unnecessary zipper that goes all the way across. So he's not out there doing that. Like This is like hard work. He's probably extremely dark and tan from being in the sun all day. And he's got a mouth on him. Like, he has no filter. He's my kind of guy. Just tells it like it is. And he doesn't really care who he offends. I care if I, if I offend people sometimes. Um, <laughs> but he freely spoke his mind. He was just that kind of person. And sometimes he just spoke and didn't really think about what he was saying. So in, in a couple of different places... Uh, well, he was the first of the disciples to confess that Jesus Christ was, or that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, or the Son of God. And Jesus was like, hey, you know, flesh and blood, blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my Father in heaven. In that same chapter in Mark 8, just a few verses later, after he said that, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, he's like, hey, guys, listen. I got to let you in on something. I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. But I'm going to resurrect in three days. It's not like Jesus said, hey, I'm going to die, and then they just stop talking. He's like, he said, hey, I'm going to be killed and then be resurrected three days later. And Peter has the gall to take him aside and like, what's wrong with you? No. He begins to criticize him for, for saying that. And then, of course, he gets more than he bargained for because Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not on the things of God but on the things of this world. Like, that would make me feel horrible if Jesus called me Satan. I mean, he was looking through Peter, but, but still, maybe he, didn't, maybe he didn't face Peter that much because he was just that stubborn. But um, we read also in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, we know that Peter, James, and John, those were like the special three out of the twelve. They were the teacher's pets. They were Jesus' best friend. They were his, his main entourage, if you will. So they're all on this high mountain. And Jesus peels back his humanity, and he's transfigured into his divine, kingly, heavenly form. And it's amazing. And if that wasn't enough, Elijah and Moses appear along with him, and they're talking with him. Now, if I would have seen this, I would have been terrified, and I would have hit the ground, and my internal voice would have been like, shut up, shut up, shut up, don't say anything. Not Peter. No, he goes, let's make a tent. Let's make a tent for you. Let's make a tent for Elijah. Let's make a tent for Moses. And it says in Mark chapter 9, like, he did so because they were terrified, and rightly so. But it was like, What? Like, he, he just reveals himself in his divine form, and you're like, let's make a tent. Okay, cool. You know, it doesn't record much of what the conversation after that, but it's, I'm sure it would have been a little weird. 
So, but we're going to be reading in, in Mark chapter 14. If you have your Bibles or your tablets with you, whatever else you have, you can follow, us, follow along with us in Mark chapter 14. And so Jesus, so Peter spent three years total with, with Jesus. He was really close to him, mind you. So we fast forward and we look, and, and they're at the last, this is after the Last Supper, and Jesus and the disciples are at the Mount of Olives. And so we start in verse 27, and it says this, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So Jesus knows that he's going to be arrested and that the disciples are going to flee in fear for their lives because of the religious leaders, and they're going to go in hiding, right? So he also tells them, though, after, that, after he's resurrected, that he's going to uh, meet them in Galilee. Now, usually when, when Jesus like, tells you something, he's not making a joke. He's not saying, well, it could happen or it might happen. He's like, hey, this is going to happen. And it's going to happen because, well, it's Jesus. Um, but at the same time, I can kind of relate to the zeal of Peter and, and, and how he responds because it's like, oh, no, it's not going to happen to me. So we see his response, his first response in, in verse 29. It says, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Have you ever been like in school? It's like you're just like not paying attention. You're just like doodling or whatever, and the teacher's like, all right, Johnny, what's the Pythagorean theorem? And C-A-T, cat. Because <laughs> he just wasn't paying attention. I'm not saying that Peter wasn't paying attention at this point, but he responds with the wrong response. And Jesus responds to him. And he could have said, Jesus could have said, Peter, Thank you so much for your passion. You're such a good, good friend. I love you, bro. But you're going to run away like a little girl. Yeah. He could have said that. But Jesus told him, Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. He doesn't just tell Peter he's going to deny him. He says, you're going to deny me not once, but twice, but three times in total. Again, at this point, a normal person would be like, oh, man, and just in disbelief and, and kind, of, kind of felt shameful. No, no, not Peter. So he, he responds, and, he's, and he said in fact, emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, the Bible doesn't record any more of this conversation. But I imagine that Jesus, I guess, just decided to drop it. Because with Peter being so bullheaded, I, I imagine it could have gone back and forth. But I imagine it was like, he says that, and Jesus is just like, dude, I say this, you say that. I tell you no, it's like this, and you say no, and you correct me even still. When will you learn to just listen? <laughs> and after all of this, they go out to Gethsemane. And he tells the disciples, he says, hey, sit and pray. And then Jesus takes the faithful three, Peter, James, and John. He takes them, and they go a little bit further. Now, at this point, you know, Jesus knows what's about to take place. He's very sorrowful. He's very distressed. He tells them, my soul is distressed even to death. 
He says, I want you to sit and watch. And then Jesus goes a little further and he prays. And it's very heavy. When he comes back, the one who was so zealous and passionate, I will not fall away, has fallen asleep. It's like you can't even stay awake. And so then Jesus goes and prays again. Well, when Jeter, when, when Jeter, when Derek Jeter, uh, when Jesus gets arrested, though, this is one of the reasons why I love Peter, because he's strapped. He's got his concealed carry, right? And, and so they're coming to take Jesus away. And it says that he lobbed off one of the, uh, the high priest's guard's ears. He wasn't aiming for the ear. I really think he was aiming just right down the center of the head, trying to kill this dude. Because who just tries to go cut off an ear? That's weird. Nobody's like, I'm going to cut that guy's ear off. Yeah. No, he's, he's aiming for the dude's head. And, and I think, I speculate that maybe God was like, eh, no. I'll, I'll let you have an ear, though. But, you know, he, he's so zealous, right? But again, Jesus gets taken away. And what happens to all the disciples, even Peter? They scatter, just like Jesus said. And so, fast forward, Jesus is in interrogation, and there's a, there's a courtyard outside. And we pick up same chapter in Mark 14 at verse 66. It says, that As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, but he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. When I was a little kid, I used to love uh, finding glass beer bottles. And not because I was recycling. I wasn't that kind of kid, no. I would find them in the ditch where somebody littered, and then I would walk them back up to the, the neighborhood street where cars drove, and I would break them because it brought me really great satisfaction to break a bunch of glass bottles. I would, you know, I would get off the school bus, and I would find them, and I'd break them. I'd just leave them there. Like, I had no regard for anybody else except for, you know, me being satisfied with breaking these bottles. My parents found out, and, of course, naturally, I got in trouble. One day, I was, I was playing outside behind the house, and there's this, this carport, and a little concrete slab for cars to be at. So I'm just playing, and I found one. <laughs> I found a glass bottle, and so I proceeded to break it. And I don't know why I, I just I got so much joy out of just chunking it on the ground and just watching it shatter. My mom comes out there, and she's like, Derek, what happened? Now, I want to preface with this. Kids are so naive to how transparent they really are, and they're naive to how bad at lying they are. And they also don't understand. Yeah, I see you smiling. (laughs) Listen, heed this warning. Parents actually know what they're talking about. Yeah, parents aren't stupid. I didn't know that. Nobody told me. So, you know, of course, I, I go to tell her, uh, not the truth, and I say, well, the wind blew, and it knocked it off that fence post way up there that I can't reach. <laughs> and she looks at me, and she goes, now, that's not what really happened. I know that's not what happened. 
You want to try again? Okay, that right there, you want to try again? That should have been a red flag. That should have been like, okay, she knows, abort. You know, I should have just told her the truth right there. Did I? No. No, no. Instead, I go, oh, you're right, a bird flew and and just knocked it right off. Yeah, and then she proceeded to do torture. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about, especially you mothers. She said my first and middle name. And I was like, oh, yep, I, I broke it. <laughs> I'm sorry, I broke it. <laughs> but when she first said, hey, you want to try again? I should have been like, oh, she knows, she knows. So this same thing kind of happens with Peter, right? So at the end of verse 68, we saw that, you know, he denies that he even knows what she's talking about. He doesn't even know Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. And you would think that would be a red flag for Peter. Like, you would hear the rooster crow and be like, huh, it's nighttime. Roosters don't crow at night. Oh, well, and just keeps going. He doesn't even think about it. And... We read in 69, it says this. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, this man is one of them. Now, you know at this point, Peter's getting really annoyed. Because, not like, so there's two types of people in this world. There is people who are blunt and tell it like it is. And then there's people who beat around the bush. And if you don't know which one you are, you're a beat-around-the-bush person because we blunt people. We know who we are. <laughs> so Peter's this blunt person, right? And she, the servant girl finds him after he relocates himself, gets away from her the first time. She comes over there, but instead of accusing him again, so he's standing over here, and she's like, so... He's with Jesus. Yeah. You know, he, he was with Jesus. Peter was. Mm-hmm. He's not even, she's not even directing, you know, at him. She's telling the bystanders. And then they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says that in verse 70. So it says this. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself, and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered how Jesus has said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times, and he broke down and wept. So Peter gets so mad, right, that he not only puts a curse on himself, but he's like cussing these people out. I imagine, I don't know what he was calling them because I don't speak Aramaic. But I imagine it wasn't good, you know. And, and so he, he storms off, and then the rooster crows, and, he's, and then it hits him. So I'm, like, wondering, you know what? How come he didn't realize it the first time? Like, what was that there? But I imagine that if I was, the, if, you know, the bystanders, that once he left, they're like, oh, maybe he wasn't with Jesus because Jesus doesn't talk like that. What would Jesus do, Peter? WWJD. Okay. And then, but Peter, he storms off. 
He's denied Jesus for the, fi- for, the, for the third time, and he remembers the words of Jesus. He remembers the words of his Lord. And he remembers the words of his best friend, and, and he realizes what he has just done. And so at this point, Peter's broken. Peter is, is crying, and he's filled with guilt and shame. And, and maybe he even, even had thoughts that his life was just uh, completely over at this point. Maybe he even thought that uh, because of this mistake that all the time that he spent with Jesus was wasted, maybe he thought that he was no better than Judas. I, I, don't, know, I don't know. And it's possible to speculate that, that the enemy recognized Peter's weakened state when he was like that. You know, and, and try to attack him and try to thwart any possibility of Peter doing anything else for, for God or for, for or fulfilling his purpose. And, and just let me tell you, there's not a single person here that hasn't made a mistake. You know, some of us have made major mistakes. Some of us have made mistakes maybe that cost us our jobs or cost us our marriages or cost us our relationship with the kids. Whatever it is, we've all made mistakes. Some of them major, some of them minor. And we've all made mistakes that have left, you know, deep wounds and deep scars. And, and though we've asked God for forgiveness, and though God has chosen to forget our sins, we can't forget what we've done. And so we dwell on that, and, and we focus on that. And we have the, all this guilt and shame brought up from past mistakes. It could have been, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago that we made a mistake, but still it's there, you know, embedded in our memories And the shame and guilt that was once washed away with like a new relationship with God now comes rushing back because we're dwelling on our past failures and our past mistakes. And what happens when we do that is it creates this opportunity. When we focus so much on what we've done wrong and we think maybe I can just change it, it creates this opportunity for the enemy to come in and to plant thoughts that are negative, to plant thoughts of more guilt and more shame, maybe thoughts that, you know, God doesn't love you anymore, and, and he'll never love you again, he'll never take you back. And I just want to tell you this, that God has never stopped loving you. There's no loving you again, because he never stopped loving you in the first place. And we can't dwell on our mistakes, we can't dwell on the failures that we've made in the past you haven't gone too far. And just because you've fallen off the wagon doesn't mean you have to stay right there sitting in the mud. Get back up and keep going forward. So Jesus is crucified, and three days later, he's resurrected. And after some time and then revealing himself uh, two times uh, to, the, to the disciples, Jesus reveals himself for the third time. And so the guys are out fishing, and Jesus tells them, hey, come to shore for some breakfast. And after they finish eating, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? And Peter's, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. And this happens, this interchange happens a total of three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. And each time, he, he can feel the weightiness of it. And when we read those words of Jesus saying, Peter, do you love me? You can almost hear the the tenderness, but also the sense of urgency in his voice as he's talking to Peter, and we can see God's love on display. And and he pushes Peter in this moment past his failure of denying him into this redemptive state. 
and into a life that continues to honor him. And he wants Peter to know that he is forgiven and he has a purpose for his life. And then later on in, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, we see that the, the uh, disciples are waiting in the upper room, re- receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And who's the one to preach to thousands of people? Peter. The same person that denied Jesus three times that probably thought his life was done. His ministry, any chance of a ministry was over. But he was the one that preached the gospel to thousands of people. And as a result, over 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. And then he went on, obviously, to write two books of the New Testament. And you know, throughout his ministry, was he perfect from that point on? No. No, he made more mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, we're human. But he lived a great life. And God used him. God never stopped loving him. So what do we do with all this? By looking at the life of Peter, by looking at where his failures were, we also see a beautiful story of failure gone to redemption. And, you know, we've all made mistakes. We have, and and sometimes it's easy to get caught up in, in everything that we've done, and we think, man, if I could just go back in time, I could change everything, but you can't. What's done is done. But what you need to know is that God loves you. He has forgiven you. He hasn't forgotten you, and he still has a plan for your life. He has given us boundless grace and mercy And his love is never ending. So God, this morning, I just ask that you would open our hearts to receive your grace and your mercy, God. You know, we're human and we experience lots of emotions. And uh, sometimes we just get wrapped up in ourselves and we get wrapped up in in thinking that, that we're not worthy and we don't deserve anything from you. But the beautiful thing about second chances is we never deserve the first one anyways. And you still gave it to us. God, we can't can't earn your love. We, We don't deserve it, but still you give it to us freely. You give us your grace and your mercy freely. And your mercy is new every morning. So God, as we leave here this morning, Lord, I ask that your love and your peace would just, you would wrap it around us. Remind us that we are chosen, that we are called, and that you have a purpose for our lives, God. We love you. We ask it all in Jesus' name.